lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, we begin a new series today. Uh, my last series before I go off for our sabbatical. And, and I, I told the staff and our elders that I wanted to do something that would allow you to, really, it's a, a twofold mission. One is I wanted you to kind of give a sense of what are we doing? Like, what is a sabbatical? And we're talk a little bit about that in addition to the Q&A that David mentioned earlier. But also, I wanted you to enter into your Sabbath, into your sabbatical. You're just like, wait, 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 I didn't know that I got one. But, but you will. By the end of the series, I think if you don't already have it planned, you're going to plan one. And, and here's the good news. It begins today because today's the Sabbath. And every sabbatical begins with Sabbath. That's the whole point. There's a reason why, in terms of etymology, they almost sound like they're the same words because they are. And so I want to talk today, and we're doing three weeks, remember, and the three components of my sabbatical, really three components typically of a sabbatical for a pastor are this, rest, renewal, and calling. And today, I want to talk about rest. I want to talk about how do we find rest. Jesus talked about in that passage, and the writer of Hebrews brings it up as well. We're going to look at that together. And I want you to see that today, today, literally, the Sabbath, it's a gift to you. It is a gift given to you. I don't know when the last time you stopped to think about Sabbath in that way, but, but as you're going to see by the end of the sermon, you're going to see it is a gift given to you out of God's grace. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the perversion of rest first, because words that go wrong for us, where we feel like, man, I just went on vacation. I didn't feel like I ever rested. Well, there's a reason for that. And second, we're going to talk about the purpose of rest. Like, why did God design the Sabbath the way that he did? What's it for? And then finally, we're going to talk about the place of rest. So perversion and its purpose and the place of rest. So let's jump in here and talk about the thing that trips us up the most, and that is the perversion here. And so I want to give you some stats here, just a few things. There's so many of them, but for the sake of time, let me just give you two here. Here in America, in 1967, on average... The American worker works 1,716 hours a year. In 2000, one generation later, that number was up to nearly 1,900 hours. And if you do the math on that, you can see that man, that's a lot of extra days of work per year. And that's the year 2000 was the latest, and the one I had right there. It's only gone up since then. And did you know that, that 55% of all American workers do not take their allotted vacation time? I know some of you are saying, that's right, I didn't take all of my vacation time, right? And in fact, uh, Americans, more than virtually any other uh, nation on earth, work more per capita in terms of hours per week and hours per year than any other nation on earth. You would almost say that we pride ourselves on that. More on that here in a second. So what's going on here? You know, we look at these stats, we say, yeah, but I, I do have leisure. I mean, we are a culture of leisure, but... What we're going to talk about also today is this, that leisure is not the same thing as rest. Having lots of options to do lots of things doesn't necessarily equal rest. And so let's ask this question, why is that the case? 
And now what Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 11, because what he said 2,000 years ago remarkably is about our world today as well. Listen to what he said in verses 28 and 30 of chapter 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Earlier this week uh, in my office, uh, Neil came in. Some of you know Neil Salzman. Most of you, in fact, know Neil Salzman. I think he's here somewhere. And Neil is the director of the REST Initiative. He started that organization a number of years ago as a counselor. And and REST Initiative is really about helping those, especially in ministry, callings, learning how to rest. And so here I am upstairs in my office working on the sermon on rest. And I hear Neil downstairs. And so I was like, man, if I'm going to preach on rest, I better go talk with him. And so I went downstairs and I said, Neil, I've got one question for you. All right, why don't we rest? You know, as, as modern Western people especially, why don't we rest? And he gave me a twofold answer. He said, well, the first thing is that there are all these burdens that get placed upon us from outside of ourselves. And I thought about this in the passage. What does Jesus say here in verse 28? Come to me, who? All who labor in our heavy burden laden. Now we'll give you rest. Now, think about some of those burdens that we have. Sometimes there are burdens that are placed upon us that we are not looking for those burdens, right? <laughs> some of you are like, yeah, I know. I was, I was, it was 4.30 in the afternoon on Friday, and my boss came in, and he gave me some extra work to do for the weekend. Right? You know those things. Some of you, you know, it's feast or famine in terms of the workload. And there's just a ton that you've got to get done. I mean, sometimes those things, you know, I think about even like uh, when there's a, a natural disaster, and you've seen those pictures of people whose homes get flooded out and what are they doing they're working extra hard to try to get cleaned up i mean they're just things that are outside the purview of our control and part of what was going on in the time of jesus was something like that here's what i mean when he was talking about you who are burdened and heavy laden you know he's thinking in the back of his mind he was thinking about the exodus he was thinking about the time when his people were under the hammer of the pharaoh but about 1500 years later during the time of jesus the hammer was not the Pharaoh, but the Pharisees. And they were placing religious and moral burdens. So they're saying things like, hey, if you really do belong to God, there's a certain amount that you're going to need to tithe. And you're going to need to pray this number of times per day. And you're going to need to do all these things. And, and Jesus is saying, wait a minute, the Sabbath was made for humanity, not the other way around. It was meant to, to bring freedom. It was meant to bring rest. And instead, you religious leaders... Everyone's using the deference construct around you. Everyone's deferring to you, and you're adding things that that God never intended. And so I'm pulling that back here, but he's looking at those people, and he's saying, these people have a burden. And for them, because it was a deeply religious uh, culture, it was a deeply religious burden. Now, in our world today, that's not necessarily the case. I mean, you're here in part because of our, our religious connection, yes, but for most people, their burden today when it comes to to issues where they're exhausted and not feeling rest is primarily not around religion, and chances are that's also true for you as well here. I want to read to you um, a quote. I should have done this earlier, uh, but this is from Kevin DeYoung. This is a book called Crazy Busy. He says, when someone asks me how am I doing, my response almost always includes the word busy. I can think of several moments in just the past couple of months when I've muttered to myself, what am I doing? How do I get myself into this mess? When will I ever get my life under control? How long can I keep this up? Why can't I manage my time? Why did I say yes to this? <laughs> How did I get so busy? 
I've bemoaned my poor planning and poor decision-making. I've complained about my schedule. I've put in slipshod work because there wasn't time for any other kind. I've missed too many quiet times that I've been too impatient with my kids. I've taken my wife for granted and fed important relationships with leftovers. I've been too busy to pursue God with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, I've likely been just like you. You know, how many of us can connect with that? Which leads to the second thing Neil told me about. This is part of the reason why uh, we, we don't know how to rest is because we don't know what rest is. And we choose a lifestyle that doesn't equate to rest. As you know, I'm going on a sabbatical. The first one was seven years ago. And we had to wait an extra year because of some staff changes. So it was eight years after we started planting the church, and I was really exhausted. And, and so my concept, and all the elders for the most part were all new at this. And so none of them really understood sabbatical either. I didn't. And, and so we all kind of went into saying, all right, Scott's going to take a break. And so for me, sabbatical was just like, I'm not going to be around the church. And so I'm just going to kick back and I'm going to lick some wounds, so to speak, <laughs> sort of thing. And so I said to our family, I said, hey, we're going to go on a two and a half month excursion around North America. So we traveled in our Honda Odyssey. We nicknamed the trip Epic Odyssey. And we traveled 11,500 miles in two and a half months. You do the math on that. It's about 210 miles per day. It's about three to three and a half hours of driving that I did every day for two and a half months. And you're going, definitely not rest. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure that doesn't meet the definition of rest. And you're right. And it gets worse. And so for, for I'm traveling, doing all this travel so that we could just take a break and just turn everything off. And, and see the wonderful land of North America and visit also with family and friends along the way. And virtually every night was in a hotel room or someone's room in their house. And it was me and Kirsten and all of her kids in the same room. Let me tell you, you want to kill your sex life. Um, that's a great way to do it. And, and so I'm just being honest. And, and, and so, you know, and in addition to that, over that whole summer for two and a half months, on the sabbatical, you know how many dates Kirsten had? Two. We had two dates. I mean, here, the elders, and man, I just want to say thank you, my elders. This has been part of the policy since day one at City Church, is that the pastors take a sabbatical. I'm so grateful to our elders, and I want you to be able to thank them as you get to know them as well. But, but they, they gave me a gift, and I destroyed it. I'm not saying that there weren't some wonderful moments for our family person's very careful about to say, wait a minute, there's some good things. But the point is, is that the whole purpose of the sabbatical was lost for me. You know, and I, I, that's my story. And I'm sure that along the way you can find yourself in that. But I think it brings us to what happens in verse 29, because there Jesus says, take my yoke. Now, the yoke was this wooden device that was placed around the necks of oxen in order for them to train on mission, as it were, in the same direction. And so the oxen were to lay out that path, right, uh, as they turned over the soil together. And so the, the yoke made sure that they trained in the right direction consistently. And the rabbis of the time of Jesus would, would talk about their yoke. And so to, to place yourself under, under the tutelage of a rabbi was to place yourself in their yoke. And, and what Jesus is saying here about the Pharisees, all these other rabbis, is look at their yokes. It's like the oxen in the field. It's burdensome. But my yoke is different. 
Now, let me say two things about that. Let me tell you, I want to talk about the yoke of this culture and when it comes to work, especially. I think there are two things, and there are actually more than that, but for the sake of time, let me just give you two. I think there are two things that happen to us where we take not the yoke of Jesus, but the yoke of this culture. One is pride. I think it's a huge issue for us as Americans in particular. How many times have, uh, have you worked, uh, you've, like, you've worked to the bone all week long, and, uh, and you know, you're, you, you put in not just Monday through Friday, but Saturday, and let's be honest, Sunday as well sometimes, and, and, uh, and someone says, man, man that, is, man, that is hard work that you do, and you're like, yeah, man, it's tough work. And, and, you know, you're supposed to be commiserating together about that, but inside, what do you feel? A sense of pride. It's like, yeah, I did that. Let me ask you this question. What's the difference between margin and capacity? Uh, what does that mean exactly? Capacity is the, is the uh, really the, the compi- combined value of your time and your skill. And so, as I look around the room, I see a lot of high-capacity individuals, but it's really not a matter of how much capacity you have. It's a question of, are you working to the point of 100%? Like you're saying, I've got the time, I've got the ability, and so I'm going to give it all at the office and then some. And, and maybe it's because of pride that you're doing it. Maybe it's because of the accolades, the attaboys in the office, that sort of thing like that. But that's what capacity is. Margin is saying, no, I'm going to leave a percentage of space in my calendar. I could work, but I'm not going to. That's the difference between margin and capacity. I think for a lot of us in here, and a lot of us in here, we don't work to margin, we work to capacity. And, and we, we wonder, as we get to Saturday morning, after working all week, why are we so tired? And we wake up Monday morning saying, man, I'm not ready. I, I could have used another week off. But why is that? And I think that's part of the issue. And, and I want you to just be honest with me. I, I think a lot of it has to do with pride, especially for us as Westerners and Americans. But here's the second reason why. I think we take the yoke, or what that yoke of our Western culture, I think what it looks like is this, that we think that rest equals vegging. We think that what rest is, is anything where I'm not working. And Neil and I were talking about this as well. And Neil said, you know, all those things, gaming, um, Netflix, and so forth, those are all things that are good in and of themselves. There's nothing wrong with them. Uh, In fact, having some of that downtime where we can just go, mentally numb for that can be a good thing actually he says but and i agreed with him but if that's the only thing that you think rest is you're limiting yourself to what rest actually is rest is more than vegging it's something else and i if we can't get to that something else here to the purpose we're going to talk about in a second then i think it damages us i was reading a book from a doctor dr matthew walker who's an expert on sleep deprivation and one of the things he said, or one of the things that's noted in another article I read along with this, he said that, um, that on average, we receive two and a half hours less sleep per night than we did about a century and a quarter ago when electrification started. Now, you can see electrification, like that's part of it. Like before electrification, when did you go to bed? Well, it got dark. There was nothing to do, right? I mean, it was like, oh, it's dark, okay. It's like camping all the time. It's like, okay. Uh, I'm going to go to sleep. And on average, people got two and a half hours. How would you like to have an extra two and a half hours of sleep? Oh, my gosh. Some of you are like, yes. Right? Uh, but it's choice. 
is what happens. And so, and so uh, two and a half hours extra, think about the impact. One of the things that they, we've learned in neuroscience, and what the, Dr. Walker talked about this as well, one of the things that we learned is that what does the brain do when we sleep? And we think, oh, everything's shut down. Well, that's not completely true. The brain actually continues to work, but it works on our behalf for our rest. And so during the day, stress builds up, anxiety builds up, and stress is actually a, a chemical as well. And so it acts like a toxin in our brains. And so the more stressed you are, okay, the more that builds up. And so you get to the place of rest at night. And what happens while you're sleeping is that the brain is being cleansed of the toxins. And, and so, the, by the way, this is one of the reasons why when you're stressed and, and someone says sleep on it, that's the science of it. Behind that is sleep on because your, your brain is actually working on your behalf. So what happens when you don't get enough sleep? Well, you can figure it out. You don't clean out all the toxins. So rather than starting at 0%, maybe it's, it's half done. The job is half done. So then you build on that. All the other stress of being married, all the stress of having children, all the stress of your job, all the stuff of living in the city, all the things that happen to us. Now, the pandemic, the stress, uh, riots in the streets, like that all builds. And so if you're not getting enough rest, I mean, it's just so almost basic to what it means to be human, and yet we don't do it. And so the damage that we do, and of course, it's not just that, it's spiritual, right? Why is there not rest in my soul? Why do I feel like, like uh, I'm, 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 doing the, I'm doing the worship thing, but I can't stop down and slow enough, it's... I feel a little bit restless when God just says, come and be with me. Listen to what Augustine said. Against such restlessness, we are offered a kind of Sabbath in the heart. As if God were saying, stop being so restless. Quieten the uproar in your minds. Let go of the idle fantasies that fly around in your head. God is saying, be still and see that I am God. But you refuse to be still. You are like the Egyptians tormented by gnats. These tiniest of flies, always restless, flying about aimlessly, swarm in your eyes, giving no rest. They are back as soon as you drive them off, just like the futile fantasies that swarm in our minds. Keep the commandment. Beware of this place. thought about a time when Kirsten and I were biking by these cows, and we had time on our hands, so I actually just stopped to observe cows. I, no, I, just, I was like, I just want to look at cows. And, and I, just, I just stared at them, and, and the whole time, and they're staring back at me, by the way, and, but the whole time, they're constantly swatting. I mean, and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, and it's true for horses too. If you've ever been at a farm, most of us have, you know what I'm talking about. It's constant. And can you imagine, as soon as you wake up, you're, you're going to do the same thing all day long, right? That's what it's like to be a cow or a, a horse. And one of those things is you're constantly swatting away. Can you imagine, you know, we've all had gnats and flies in our homes or in our faces briefly when we do that number. Of the can you imagine just having to do that all day long? You know, that's what it's like to be one of these animals. And that's what Augustine is saying, is that when we are restless, remember, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee, he says. Like, that's what life is like. We're constantly swatting like this. There's never a moment just to be. We're always doing. No wonder we don't know what rest is. No wonder we think that just going on vacation equals rest. How many of you have gone on a vacation and you've come back more tired than you started? Right? I see a lot of nodding of heads. How many of you have, have you know, come back and from time off, and you're just like, I thought the weekend would do it for me. And you go in Monday morning, you're more tired than ever before. So how do we change? If that's you at some level, how do you change? You have to go to the purpose. And so let me move now, talking about what is the purpose of rest. Three things. Number one, freedom. God gave us the Sabbath for our freedom. 
And it's right here in this passage where, again, the exodus is echoing in the, in the heart of Jesus as he was uh, teaching his disciples and all those around them that were listening. He was thinking about the purpose. What was exodus about? It was the Pharaoh who had, who had burdened, the, made them slaves, in fact. And he's like, I want to release my people. Let my people go. And it, what's fascinating is when you come to the commandment, what do you come to in Exodus chapter 20? What you say is he begins the command where he gets to, uh, uh, he says, uh, keep the Sabbath day holy. If you look at that commandment, it's the longest one of the ten. And in there he says, for I brought you out of Egypt. What he's doing, he's connecting the burden of slavery, the need for freedom to the purpose of the Sabbath. Like, I've made you for freedom. There's a Jewish woman named Judith Shulovitz. She wrote in a New York Times article, an op-ed, about rediscovering her faith. And in part, it was rediscovering the Sabbath. She went on to write a book, actually, on it. Judith Shulovitz. Listen to, to one section of this article. My mood would darken every weekend until by Saturday afternoon I'd be unresponsive and morose. My normal routine, which involved brunch with friends and swapping tales of misadventure and the relentless quest for romance and professional success, made me feel impossibly restless. After a while, I got lonely and did something that, as a teenager, profoundly put off by her religious education, I could never have imagined wanting to do. I began dropping in on a nearby synagogue. Finally, I developed a theory for my condition. I was suffering from the lack of a Sabbath. There's ample evidence that our relationship to work is out of whack. Let me argue on behalf of an institution that has kept workaholism in reasonable check for thousands of years. Most people mistakenly believe that all you have to do to stop working is not work, but you cannot downshift casually or easily. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. We are used to taking Sunday as a day off, whether secular or religious. But it was Judaism. It was Yahweh, God, who introduced the concept into the culture. No one at the time of the institution of the Sabbath was doing it apart from the Jewish people. And what Judith is saying is, I forgot my heritage. I forgot where Sabbath came from. And, and what she found out was that she was restless, that, that rather than just saying, oh, it's just another weekend day, she realized that, that, she, that in her restlessness, she didn't feel rested. And so I want you to think about Sabbath in this way. Today, this day, where you're gathered here with me at City Church, I want you to think as a frame, as a boundary marker for you. And all the commotion, all the stress that happens between the Sundays is a frame, it's a boundary of freedom. And what it is, it's a taste of things to come. That one day, every day will be Sabbath. Every day will be gift, right? And so it's, it's to, to purposely choose to enter into Sabbath. And, and note here, what is it based on? A commandment. And so... Let me get a little bit authoritative and a little bit kingly with you as your senior pastor. Some of you right now are in incredible disobedience. It's what, it's what Hebrews 4 was talking about. Striving in the rest because right now you've been in disobedience. And some of you right now, let me just be honest, you're disobedient. And, and you're going to go home today. Your plan was to come here to, to hang out and worship a little bit. And then you're going to go right back into work. And I'm telling you, you're going to grieve the heart of God. Now, sometimes there's an ox in the ditch, Jesus said, and there are things that, as an emergency, have to be done. I get it. And this is not about guilt. But, but I think more than anything else, the heart of God, his face towards you, is one of just grieving and sadness that, that you were given a gift of freedom. 
And, and, and you're going to work yourself in a way that you weren't designed for that today. What does it look like an intern to freedom saying, you know what? Come hell or high water, like I'm going to protect this day. And I'm just going to, and so here's what leads to the second thing. Like, okay, what if I did that? The frame here, well, how do I fill that? That's what the second thing is, delight. What is the purpose of the freedom? It's delight. It's not to burden you. It's to take the good things of the good life and to celebrate the God behind the good things. You see, all of us this weekend, you know, chances are you're going to do, enjoy some good things today. But the question is, can you Shabbat with them? The, the, the Hebrew word there for Sabbath. Can you look at the God behind the good things? Part of what Sabbath is about is establishing delight. Listen to what Hebrews 4, 9, and 10 say. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. The writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it was, uh, but the writer of Hebrews is an increasingly Gentile audience. Those people are saying, I have no idea what the Old Testament was about. Like, what's that about? And so Hebrews was written to explain the Jewishness of the faith to non-Jewish people. And so what does he do? And he does this multiple times throughout the book of Hebrews, but the writer goes back to the story of Genesis. And what happens there after six days of creation, after each day, by the way, where God says it is good. Oh, it's perfectly good. On the seventh day, he says once again, oh, so good. And he blessed it. And he said, yes. What was God doing? He was setting a pattern of delight. He was saying yes. Yes to Sabbath. He was saying yes to delight here. And in the word here, Sabbath rest, is actually one word in the Hebrew. It had been coined by the writer. It never had existed in Hebrew before. He, so he coins this word, and what he's trying to do is describe the experience of Sabbath. And so Sabbath rest literally means to feast. The word there literally means to feast. And so it's even why during Lent, uh, Sabbath, Sundays, were always a day and a break of Lent for feasting. Because it was a picture of this. That's the reason why they moved from Saturday to Sunday. The day of the resurrection was this celebration, a feast. And so Sabbath isn't about, about uh, saying, oh, I, I just need to be you know, in Scripture all day long and, and uh, I, I can't enjoy good things. That, no, quite the opposite. Yes to the Word of God, but yes to delight because of the Word of God. That's what Sabbath is about. And so it means the food and the drink going for the bike ride, the walks in Deep Dean Park, or going to the Inman Park Festival this weekend, or whatever it might be, it is, is saying yes to saying thank you, God, for rest. Thank you that, that my work will take care of itself. I don't need to worry about that. There's something that's more important to my work. And it's that you've given me freedom, and you want me to delight in your creation. And so, and so the call here is to do that. And it, this is helpful. Think about it in the form of this question. If you had 24 hours to pursue your deepest joy, what would it be? Someone says, I want you to take 24 hours, and I want you just to pursue the thing that means, that, you, that excites you the most, that brings you the most joy, what would that be? And chances are, you're getting really close to the heart of God with your answer. That's Sabbath. I don't know if you've ever thought about Sabbath that way, but that's actually what Scripture is about here. And so we need to reclaim, rediscover the beauty of this day, I believe. And the last thing that it leads to here, freedom, purpose, excuse me, freedom and delight here, is that we want God for God, not for his things. We want God for God. What do I mean by that? I was with a pastor friend of mine this past week, and, and he's, uh, he was telling me the story about adopting his oldest son, Samuel, from Ukraine, long before the conflict, by the way. 
And he said they were at this orphanage, and it took a month uh, being there in Kiev at this orphanage. So they're living there for a month, for, uh, doing the adoption process in Ukraine. And they're in this uh, play center there at the orphanage with this little boy that they're eventually naming Samuel. And uh, my friend Jeff said that he's sitting down, and uh, Samuel comes up behind him and places his hand on the shoulder of Jeff. And Jeff's been waiting for this because, as you may